Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? What? How do you say roller coaster people, wrong? I say roller coaster like I roll it. Yeah. Roller coaster is how you even say it, but I say roller coaster because ah, okay, okay, how yeah. my mouth goes around it. I don't know why. That sounds really awkward. Let me just get going. Hello, so after that last game week, we stand at the precipice of a bit of FPL time travel. We have three game weeks to come in the space of seven days from next Saturday, which takes in game weeks 12 to 14. Yes, decisions will be rushed, disasters and victories incurred, but I suspect which premiums to pick will remain a huge question. Anyway, into this week, and it's been an interesting one to say the least. Yeah, we're recording uh, a day late because of exams these guys have done. Uh, Nick, flying high, you're right. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right, thank you. Yeah, the uh, North London derby certainly was an enjoyable watch this weekend. Um, um, yeah, plenty of uh, high-flying scores in FPL this week as well, and uh, passed my exam today, which is good news. So a little bit of relief, even though I've still got two exams to go. Um, so who are we? We are Who Got the Assist. You can join our mini-league if you'd like. Um, the code is CPSULF. Um, make sure to give us a follow on Twitter or like and subscribe to the pod as well. Um, so we're also joined by Anthony. How are you doing? I know you've been busy examining too. Yeah, it's been a very academic set of podcast hosts this week between the two of us, Nick. Uh, I've finished an exam today. I have another few uh, over the next few weeks. So to be honest, I'm not out of the woods yet, but <laughs> we'll keep going anyway. Agenda for today's pod, though. So many of the popular transfers for Game Week 11 actually proved quite unsuccessful. And that highlights that sometimes the most powerful weapon in an FPL manager's arsenal is just doing diddly squat. Uh, We're going to be discussing the power of just doing nothing, which kind of seems to split into two categories. Uh, The subject of last week's pod, premium players, is one of those. And ahead of Game Week 10, many thought they were going to sell Bruno to get De Bruyne. Then there was talk of selling Son to get Salah ahead of Game Week 11. Plenty of discussions on people trying to basically not do nothing when it comes to their premium players. And then there's the power to do nothing vis-a-vis the rest of your side. Tinkering with goalkeepers, Sam Johnston, um, and the rest of your players as well. Um, Recycling a phrase, I guess, that I use pretty often on the pod, rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. We also have correspondence this week after the break. 
and we'll have the Q&A, of course. However, first of all, we're going to start with the Game Week reviews and the Market Forces. I'll start this week in terms of the game reviews. Again, feeding nicely into our topic, as Anthony just mentioned. Um, I got 60 minus four this week. It probably should have been a 66. I probably shouldn't have done the transfers, which I did, uh, which were to remove Mr. Watkins uh, for Mr. Mr. Shea Adams, which that, that was okay. You know, the Watkins wasn't playing, Shea was, so that was cool. Uh, the thing is that a Shea transfer enabled me to do Cancello to Walker because I thought, you know what, hey, Carl Walker, he's, he's only missed 22 minutes of the entire Premier League season under Guardiola. He's bound to be the most secure one in that City back line. Cancello has played midweek, so he's probably not going to play, is he? Pep had other ideas and uh, he decided to drop Walker entirely from his squad and play Cancelo again. Um, so I lost six points that way, uh, which is a, a very nice swing. I, I, take it, I took a hit as well. Um, so that was a minus 10 swing, basically, uh, with Shea Adams on Monday only getting a two. I only fielded nine men this week, didn't have a goalkeeper because of the, the blank, obviously. I kept Grealish, kept Lewis um, and kept Martinez. Um, but I only got you know, Riederwald one point off the bench and Kilman didn't play versus Liverpool, but he'd have got a zero anyway because they could have four goals. So yeah, uh, not the best. Uh, 60 minus four on a week with absolutely massive scores. Um, and you, I think you needed about kind of a, a 65, 70 to get a green arrow. So yeah, I said no chance. A bit disappointing, but you know, my team looks all right now. I've already taken a hit uh, to try to get everything ready for the upcoming three games uh, which we'll talk about in just a bit uh who's second i think it's anthony because nick had a monster week as usual yeah unfortunately um i guess okay this week could have been better and it could have been a lot worse i ended up with 75 points gross but 71 points net and that was because i did two transfers one of those was to move jack Grealish for riyad mares now mares picked up four points but that could have been so much more and so to completely condemn my transfer based on the result, I think would ignore the fact that you know this this could have really worked out. Maybe the arguments could be held about my second transfer, which was to swap my sub goalkeeper, which is Bailey Peacock Farrell, for Sam Johnston, who got zero points, which was um, impressive and nice solidarity with Emiliano Martinez, who of course didn't play and was <laughs> on my bench. <laughs> so seventy-one points did actually give me a rise in rank uh, from 876k up to 818k and that was predominantly powered by my elite players Uh, Harry Kane 12 points Mo Salah 14 points and Kevin De Bruyne doubled nicely to 28 points Uh, I did actually have Cancelo Um, I kept him I just for whatever reason stayed patient there and got my six points from him Calvert-Lewin as well returning the rest were blanks and Unfortunately, I had Suchek on my bench. I actually managed to lock away players in a, a player on the bench oh. and points on the bench in a week where many teams couldn't even field a full team. Oh. Uh, Brewster, I guess, was the real blocker there. Him coming on um, as a late sub for Sheffield United. He was so sad about it. I that. was incredibly sad about it. I, I think I put into the Slack chat, this is the saddest I've been all weekend. <laughs> and it really, really was because I thought he wouldn't come on in the end. And Look, I thought he'd done well the week before when he came on as a sub, so I put him on as a starter, expecting him to start. When that didn't happen, I was like, oh, you know, maybe I'll get those two check points. Maybe I'll get them. No, 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 dear reader. I did not get the two check points. So, look, we we, we could be very sad with 71, or we could take the optimistic side of things that 71 is fine, and I'm happy with my team, and we go again next week. Again, here we are. Nick, 
yeah, so I, I got 75 points this week, same as you, but I didn't take a hit. Um, didn't constitute a huge green arrow, but now up to 89k, so th- things are progressing pretty well um, this season, especially considering I only actually fielded uh, 10 men this week. So, like self, I had Martinez, but I decided not to transfer him out. I, I thought, you know what, I'll keep him in and um, save him for the double game weeks that are going to be coming up at some point for Aston Villa. So, I felt like that seemed like a sensible decision. Um, I also had Grealish, but obviously he didn't play, so I had Lamptey come off the bench, but that was only a one-pointer, but still, I'm happy to have Grealish um, for next week. Um, so, yeah, it was pretty well. Um, as I said, De Bruyne got 28 points on the Saturday, Calvert-Lewin as well, six points, and Bruno, and, and Kurt Zuma also got me another return, eight points from his goal, uh, no, no bonus. Um, Sunday, Kane sort of just kept me in the green just about. Um, even though apparently only one of Kane slash Son doesn't um, isn't enough to see um, a, a positive rank. It actually, uh, my rank slid based on the Son return, even though I had Kane, which just shows how much ownership that guy has currently. Also got the Robertson clean sheet, but uh, Jota came off the bench just for one point. And then I guess the Monday could have gone a bit better as well. I've had three players in that game with Adams, Blanking and Lamptey. Though I did pick up that jammy Carl uh, Walker-Peters assist for the penalty mm. slash non-penalty. So he's got something out of that Monday night. So, so yeah, uh, pretty decent all in all. Yeah, not bad at all. I think it's the mark of having a good season where you, when you can uh, house those sort of points that, that you got with KWP. Yeah, very well done, Nick. Uh, doing very, very well there indeed. Right, let's move on to the market forces this week. Uh, obviously, again, a lot of movement in the economy just because of all of the players who are um, performing at the moment and indeed those who aren't performing anymore. A lot of hangover sort of players from the early part of the season now being sold on mass, right, Nick? I count you know, the likes of Hamez, the likes of Werner here. Yeah, it feels like this week it seems to be quite heavily about the mid-priced mids. So it's this Jack Grealish that um, tops the market forces this week. Lots of managers would have ditched him probably because of that blank game week. But um, I did actually look to see that despite the blank, he actually had net 110,000 transfers in last week anyway, because so many people were bringing him in before the uh, before the deadline, uh, before the game was cancelled. So, um, yeah, that's a bit of a funny one. But, um, yeah, 110,000 net transfers in for Jack Grealish, despite having no game. A lot of early transfers, people getting caught out, most likely. But um, many people did sell him, um, like yourself, Stag. So 170,000 have transferred him back in now. Um, lots of people getting on um, Grealish for those... Um, Fantastic Aston Villa fixtures of so Wolves, Burnley, West Brom, Crystal Palace as the next four. So, um, yeah, no surprises there. Perhaps that he's um, a popular transfer in considering his form this season. But he, he's also joined um, by uh, Mo Salah, second most transferred in player. Very well against Wolves and has got Fulham up next. 164,000 transfers in for him. That's, that's not a surprise at all that he's, he's popular. But otherwise, in terms of the, the transfers in for the mid-price mids, we've also got Zaha. And another guy who was out for a few weeks of COVID, unfortunately, he didn't do um, what he, he he what he did against West Brom. He didn't do against Burnley when I owned him. That was when he was off sick. But um, very impressive return this week of two goals, one assist. Uh, puts him on seven goals and three assists, actually, now for the season. He's got more points than Jack Grealish, surprisingly. So, you know, he's um, obviously having a, he's obviously having a great season as well. So... Um, catching a lot of managers' eyes. And um, the other mid-price mids I've just mentioned is Jack, um, James Wood-Prowse is the fifth most transferred in player. Another assist from yet another set piece for him um, with Vestergaard taking a leaf out of Kurt Zuma's book and scoring his third goal of the season. 
Yeah, the, the great thing about Wilfred Zaha, or the funny thing about Wilfred Zaha's success so far this season, and this was a point that I think Craig Digger was making on Twitter over the weekend, that 31 of his 72 points so far this season came in fixtures against promoted teams that were down to 10 men. So <laughs> think about his success as you will. Um, when it comes to uh, sales so far this week, Tom's friend, uh, Mr. Ziyech, has been transferred out by over 420,000 managers so far this week, joined by James Rodriguez. And then kind of there's a smattering of other players who've been sold in droves, the likes of uh, Castagna, Jota, Mares, Timo Werner, Calvert-Lewin, Raul Jimenez as well, still being sold after his injury. Yeah, we've got Bamford in terms of the transfers in, um, most transfers in forward right now. But as you said, the likes of Werner being sold, the likes of Jota seems a bit of a surprise, um, a bit of an odd one, perhaps considering Fulham up next. Um, you know, a few people perhaps um, reacting, overreacting to that Zaha return. Not really sure about that one. 90,000 transfers out for Jota. And also Calvert Lewin, who's quite a popular sale this week, um, which links in a little bit with our topic of the day. And we all know that Tom loves a segue. So um, it's a bit odd, isn't it, that perhaps the the, uh, the top scorer in the league, who's sort of taken up those mantle of honest, hard-working performances in, in Raul's absence, got another goal this week. But yeah, it's still being heavily sold. Um, obviously, there's a fixture shift. But um, could could this be perhaps a case of overmanagement? do we think? Yeah, I mean, that and Jota, people getting off him. Ahead of Fulham, because he was rested in one game, that seems a bit reactionary, to say the least. And as Nick says, this segues us very, very nicely into this week's topic, which is, should we do nothing more often than FPL? I mean, there's lots of premiums this season as well. It's the constant temptation to shuffle the pack, which manages who own Jota, who own DCL, have clearly fallen prey to you here. Um, with all the emphasis being on this week's hot thing, this week's emerging bargain, this week's changes, uh, we're asking this week, should we hold our knees more often than not knee-jerk? And I guess, you know, there's those managers and there's the case in point from this week, as you heard in the game review. So I spent minus four on Walker to Cancelo, minus 10 points swing, essentially. And Anthony spent minus four on Mares. Okay, that was okay. And uh, Johnston, that didn't work out as well. And uh, Nick, in contrast, did absolutely nothing and got a green arrow. So (laughs) I guess the question is, are we, to begin with, um, overcompensating what's essentially quite a chilled out game by making moves every week is this over management over management is of course making a change to your team at the expense of doing nothing like, at its core you've got three core decisions to make each week which is who do i captain or maybe vice captain to sub the sub decision uh, who goes on the bench and who should i transfer in that's about it of course should i use chips and how many transfers i use are some secondary questions you might ask uh, but I guess the key is, and is I guess how I just phrase that final question: Who should I transfer in? I thought about that. I wrote about that a while back. When I wrote about overmanagement, as Nick referenced. That was the year I sold Salah for, against Bournemouth and scored a hat trick. And it's I guess it's the importance of being idle, really, because often you kind of think, oh, who should I transfer in? What should I do? That implies sort of movement activity. And I guess it's naturally how a lot of us think about things. And as an engaged manager, I, we are always planning ahead, maybe at the expense of the now. But when we're always kind of fishing for the next big thing, are you not, not neglecting um, the facts, like I said in that article a while ago, the power of doing nothing? Surely, you know, less engaged managers aren't moving Son and Kane out for players without any form because of the fixtures. Surely they aren't doing what I did this week and trying to beat the pep rotation. <laughs> I mean, Nick, as someone who's practiced the art of actually doing nothing this week, like you did say in our chat, to be fair to you, you know, you've chosen to do nothing consciously. What's your view here? How do you kind of view the power of kind of just sitting back waiting and seeing how things pan out it's interesting if you always as you said alluded to is it's one of those games where you can have this kind of scenario sometimes where one of your mates 
just forgets to look at his team and, and can still outscore you. And you could be the you could be the biggest stats nerd out there who spent hours analysing the data and then still just be caught out by by your mate who's like, oh, I set up a team. I haven't looked at it properly. Or, you know, you get yeah. 80, 80 points and you're sitting there with your 55 thinking, what the hell is going on here? But um, obviously there's, there's always a little bit of reversion to the mean with this kind of play. Uh, but it's, I think it's one of those things as sort of invested managers that we can find ourselves often. Sometimes we can kind of just scan the data for so long that we feel compelled to kind of make a decision that um, doesn't necessarily really need to be made. And as, as you alluded to, we, we, you know, you have these scenarios where we, t- we might take hits and uh, overmanage. And often, personally, I mean, I've, I've found that once you've kind of discovered a winning formula, once you, you're seeing lots of green arrows, you're, you're seeing success, it's, it's not really that urge to, to tinker too much with the winning formula and just, just keep uh, playing as you are. I mean, you've seen many of the, sort of the top managers in terms of overall rank. Um, and you look at their teams and you think, actually, they've not even um, taken any hits at all. I looked at the guy who's top of the league right now, for instance, um, in terms of overall rank, he's taken one hit, but he was in a scenario where he had Kane and Son from the outset. So obviously, you know, you don't, you don't want to fix what's broken do you if you've got Kane and Son you Calvert-Lewin James Rodriguez start of the season just banging those goals and Mo Salah those guys that's it that's your core team and you know you don't want to you don't want to fix what's not broken so if you're doing well then then you don't need to make changes necessarily that's an interesting one Nick because there's a one FPL website fplreview.com and they have elite data which basically tracks how a thousand hall of fame type character FPL managers what they've done over the course of this season and look at the number of hits that they've taken and whilst this week I think you'd be forgiven for thinking that lots of managers had taken hits just judging by Twitter or just judging even by the three of us with two of us taking hits but in fact there have been many many game weeks so far this season where these elite managers tended to have taken more hits Uh, they took on average 1.3 hits this week whereas there were multiple games I think it's five different game weeks so far this year where they would have taken more hits but I guess Shows you, Nick, maybe they're kind of getting to that point where they were happy with the teams that they have and they don't feel the need to overmanage and perhaps that's what sets them apart. On the other end, I do think that you know, this week, this discussion has obviously come up because so many people played with fire and got burnt. But it's so unusual, for example, with the premiums that you know, the guy that you sell ends up performing as well as the guy that you bought. So the likes of Bruno Fernandes still got an assist, got a good few bonus points and still did quite well. A lot of the other guys, your De Bruyne, Sterling, Salah, Son, Kane, all the sorts of players that people would have been buying or selling ended up with a goal and assist. So in the end, maybe this isn't a representative week and maybe over-management can succeed. And obviously it can succeed mathematically, but I think even as a tactic, I think it can succeed as well. But perhaps that reflects uh, an inner desire that I have, you know, to believe that I control my team's destiny and that it isn't really to do with the 22 men that take to fields you know, in 10 different games across England every weekend. Yeah, right. it's about maximising sense of control, isn't it? As you say, like the moment deadlines goes, that's it. You're done. <laughs> you, you, you sit back and see what happens to you. And uh, you, you're probably right that exercising that extent of control through making transfers, messing with your team is probably the only kind of sense of control you, you actually truly have over what is essentially a game where you're just hoping for the best and, and, and gambling that your your judgments are going to come through to you. I think you kind of got into the kind of 
the first bit there, which is managing the premiums, because this does nicely split into two, doesn't it? With how we manage those sort of premium players and how we kind of shuffle those debt shares on Titanic as, as, as stacked as often. Um, so with the premium guys, I guess the receive wisdom with them has always been st- pick and stick with your premiums. You know, just stay with them. You know, the variance will go your way. Um, you've got to show them faith. I, I, and you've, you've seen multiple times when the people do sell and some people do keep uh, a player like, you know, like, like a Kate or something like that. Um, if he's gone quiet for a couple of weeks and then suddenly re-emerges, people are like, oh, I kept the faith. Hooray, I'm so good at this, blah, blah, blah. As we come into the season now of Christmas um, and a, a real pileup of games, there's a really good question from our friend Morpheus Fire, uh, Rishi, on this. And he asked, uh, how best to navigate premium rotation risk throughout Christmas? Um, specifically, do we upside chase or do we hold and hope like we perhaps would have in the past? I, I guess you kind of say premiums are premiums for a reason. And, you know, I guess the reasonable expectation is they're all going to do pretty well over the course of the year. So the question then becomes, what do we do with the ones that we do have versus the ones we may want? How do we kind of juggle that sort of situation? And Anthony, what's your kind of approach to this at the moment? So I think in previous years, um, especially with Mo Salah, I remember selling him during the festive period a few years ago. Um, I, I think I have tended to try and pick and mix with my premiums sometimes with successful results and often with uh, unsuccessful results as well. And so I think this year I'm probably, and I think this generally reflects my tactics towards pre- my premium assets generally. I'm trying to get the the guys that I feel are most guaranteed to play. So, you know, your, your Kevin De Bruyne's, I won't be keeping your Riyad Mahrez's. Uh, Mo Salah, I think, is as fixture proof as you'll find in the Liverpool team. So I'll keep him and accept that there's probably going to be one day of disappointment along the way. Bruno Fernandes, I think likewise fits into that category of a player that you probably wouldn't expect to be benched, especially now that United don't have Champions League football to worry about ever for the rest of this season. Uh, You would expect that he will stay in that United team and just carry them as they try, I guess, to stay in the top four, at least if not win this title. Saying that, even though I've been preaching a little bit against overmanage, I think this season, at least through the Christmas period, I'm actually going to try something slightly different and go for a little bit of the upside chasing. So I, I, I feel like just the last few weeks, you can't, obviously, you can't own all the premiums, but I've still felt like I've lived a little bit dangerously with no sort of Son and no Salah and no Vardy. But I don't know. I, I, without Salah this week, I just feel like it's, it's just too much of a gamble for me. And I, I think it is possible, personally. I think it's possible now I've got the two free transfers as well that it's possible to navigate an increase of your coverage of the premiums as much as you can over the challenging fixtures and just play a little bit of premium ping pong as I talked about in the last pod and navigate the fixtures in that regard so for instance this week I'm considering a Bruno move to Salah which sounds you know shocking to sell Bruno a guy who's you know been ridiculous form well basically since he's joined the Premier League but you know Bruno has Manchester City that week and Salah has Fulham I'm not going to go without Salah for Fulham I'm I'm not a masochist you know so it just makes sense that I do that move and then I can look and and swap them back the following week when Salah has Spurs and Bruno has Sheffield United you know why not why not what if I can do it what what's the harm in in trying to play the fixtures and try and and own them all you know like and because I can still keep Kane in that scenario for Crystal Palace and that helps me mitigate it against any any son damage so i think certainly this kind of strategy can be flexible and it also allows me to keep my mid-price mids not have to worry about selling Grealish or calvert lewin or any of those sort of supporting cast members so i think it's certainly plausible to kind of 
go and play with them all and and just manage very carefully your transfers over the next few game weeks and you can you can do it as well without um taking any hits as long as no one gets uh, too badly injured i'll level with you i've i've done my moves this week because of my I'm basically planning this all around captaincy. I've gone for the DFS because I don't want to hype on the sofa anymore. Way, um, so I've got De Bruyne, um, I've got Fernandez, and I've got uh, Salah. And basically, the idea is that game week twelve, captain Salah against Fulham. Game week thirteen, I've got a choice in De Bruyne and Bruno, West Brom and Sheffield United respectively. Fourteen, I could do either of the either of KDB and Salah 15 either of KDB and Salah 16 maybe I'll bring Son in then um, but the reality is that like I, I, I the more I thought about this I have always kind of been a bit more of a stick pick and stick sort of guy and um, but as a, a friend of ours Naldo said as well what you need to look at is how much these players have actually moved in price in terms of the premiums um, and that is actually really, really interesting to see. So Son, for example, has moved the most of the players ab- above 9 million. I mean, Son is an arbitrary um, cut-off point because I think Son generally is just ridiculously overpriced, uh, sorry, ridiculously underpriced for what he offers this year. But he's actually only moved 0.5 million. Kane, Bruno, they've moved 0.4 upwards. Salah, KDB, 0.3 upwards. That's all actually quite low at the moment. People don't have like a huge level of investment in these players. The deck chairs, on the other hand, is absolutely crazy. Uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, he's moved up 1 million. Grealish and Chilwell, 0.7. Zuma, Bamford, 0.6. Jota, Jota, 0.5. And even James Justin has moved up, risen more in value than Mo Salah, 0.4. So if anything, the supporting cast at the moment, maybe in the context of this season, I'm not sure if it has been that way for previous seasons, but definitely the case this season, the, maybe the liquidity, the movement, the sales of these premium players has meant that you've got a situation where people are more likely to be holding on to supporting cast than they are likely to be holding on to the premiums. And the fact is, because there aren't these sort of high vested levels of investment in these players, you may see people like Nick doing that sort of thing a lot more. So maybe, maybe there is going to be some mileage in moving these players around. As it stands, I think I'm happy with that D- DFS De Bruyne, Fernandez, and Salah approach, but you know I, I'm definitely going to start getting FOMO at some point, especially you know game week 16 when Spurs have uh, Fulham at home and then game week 17 they've got Leeds at home. But by that point, you know it's five weeks down the line, so maybe it's kind of a natural flow of moving premiums around anyway. But I can definitely see where Nick's going that way, especially if you know if you can, you've got that sort of uh, leeway in your budget to do so. Hmm, that certainly makes sense. I mean, Anthony, do you see any kind of uh, any value in that? That's actually really made me think, and I, I actually I noticed that I'm actually exhibiting that almost that exact behaviour in my own team, and that you know I'm I am moving players that aren't costing me in terms of budget. I wouldn't sell Dominic Calvert Lewin, not necessarily because that would be over tinkering, but because I'd never be able to get him back in if I did sell him. Whereas on the other hand, I am that little bit more likely to. Uh, sell, for example, Grealish last week, a player who I didn't have much value tied up in. And I guess that's that's my team. A lot of other people will have a lot of value tied up in the likes of Grealish. But for my team in particular, that is working. And so Grealish is probably going to go to Jota, who's probably going to go to Bruno Fernandes over the next three weeks uh, because of the way that my budget is working out. But what I have looked at um, is that there are so many different uh, pitfalls in the next few weeks where I can see managers getting caught in potential over-management that there's quite a few 
tough fixtures for each of the, let's say, big five teams in the league. But there's also a lot of plum fixtures. So whilst, for example, this, this coming two weeks is quite uh, illustrative of that, we've Liverpool play Fulham in game week 12, but then come game week 13, you've got Liverpool playing Spurs, which is obviously quite a tough fixture. And then Liverpool go back and they're playing Crystal Palace the week after that, which is obviously a plum fixture, followed by West, West Brom. Again, a plum fixture. So there's a bit of difficulty there. And I guess... The, the classic deck chair player in that Liverpool side is Diogo Jota, who I think all of us are going to be trying to bring into our sides if we don't have them. And I think it's only sensible to be trying to bring him into our sides. And he captures what Bananam knows Maldonado was talking about, about how you know, value hasn't changed too much. So he is easy to get into our side because of that. It just seems like it's to do with uh, just ease of flexibility almost with, in, in that regard. And you've got more options um, doing it that way. And yeah. know, that, that definitely makes sense to me. Um, I guess to move it on slightly to the deck chairs then, um, is it ever worth it outside of moving players due to injury or moving players due to a loss of place in the squad? Like, should we be chasing differentials? Like, historically, I've gambled far more with these players in past seasons than with the players who do cost more. Um, it feels less season-defining, I guess, moving out somebody who costs less than £8 million than to be moving out a big player. I think we've all been burnt by something like Kane exit, Solar exit, versus you know moving Grealish out this week for you, Anthony. I'm sure you're a bit kind of like, oh, I'm losing a bit of money, but I'm sure you weren't thinking, oh God, this is going to be season-defining that I'm losing this guy. Of course, he didn't have a fixture, but there, there, there it goes. Um, but as mentioned, they've all risen a lot more than the premiums, which kind of makes sense too, if you think about it. Like They're less expensive, therefore they're easier to reach. The premiums are premium for a reason, I said earlier on, and I'm not really looking at the stats too much with them, apart from when I'm looking to move them around. Whereas on these guys, I'm consulting the stats a lot more to find a player who's more bang for your buck. You want to be slightly more ahead of the curve on these, and you, or you want to be conforming to you know the next hot big thing. You know, For example, one thing, I was having a cursory look earlier on, but one guy catching my eye is uh, our old mate at WTA, Pascal Gross, the first ever talisman theory here in 2018-19. He's now had three returns in the last three, some penalties, and has created the same number of chances as KDB uh, in the last four with 10. 0.3% owned at 5.8 million. I love finding players like that. I'm probably not going to be buying him in, but you know what I mean? Just find those players getting on them. That's a bit of the joy of FPL, really, rather than buying someone like Salah, for me at least. Um, Pull them in game week 13, Tom. Mm-hmm. Bye, bye, bye. Or maybe your man Trossard, who knows? Um, but where I often buy the niche, I, of- I often as well miss out on the well owned because I'm quite contrarian. So things like Danny Ings last year, Calvin Lewin last year, and this year, and you know, Bamford's only just come in for me. So you know, it- it's always been an area where I've been a bit sketchy, to say the least, in terms of my approach to them. Nick, with the, with the deck chairs, with the small guys, are you a pick and sticker or are you the sort of guy who does uh, move around a bit more with them? I mean, I think historically, I probably have been moving them around. As you said, this year has felt slightly different in terms of the some of the supporting cast that I've um, you know, supported, essentially, by putting them in my team. The likes of Grealish and Calvert-Lewin, in terms of their FPL returns, they're acting like premiums, ultimately, aren't they? Um, you know, both of them are 70-plus at this stage. You know, we've only really got Kane, Son, Salah and Fernandes to outscoring those guys. So, you know, those guys are not going to be leaving my team anytime soon, even with the Grealish fixture being cancelled you know i had i bought him at 7.1 
I'd have had to sell him at 7.7. I didn't want to cash out on that. Um, so it's, I had 0.6 million worth of price rises from that guy. Uh, Calvert Lewin, I've had 0.5 million worth of price rises. And even Jota, who's only been in my team a little while, I've already had 0.3 from him. So I wanted to keep all of those guys. I didn't see any urgency to to sell any of them. I think the only one perhaps where I've got a little bit of a slot, perhaps if I could upgrade Adams to, to Bamford, I would. Um, and that's that's an option if I wanted to to go down a different route but that was me missing out on Salah and I think you know picking the right premiums is very important because as I said you can't really fit them all in you can fit three in if you try and fit a fourth in that means you end up having to play a, a sort of a Basuma or a Brewster type character every week in week out and it's it just it just creates such an unbalanced team that I don't think it's really really possible so in that regard I'd rather play with three premiums um try and flex in a, you know, a bit of in and out and try and call them on the fixtures and, and keep my greedishes, keep my Calvert and my supporting cast that have um, have given me dividends this week. You know, that's why I've done so well is just these guys performing week in, week out. Yeah, you see, I think that reflects maybe being on those players early. And I, maybe this is what I was getting at with my last point, but didn't maybe nail is that it really does depend when you bought those players. For example, I was able to sell Grealish um, in a way that you weren't because I had very little value tied up in him. <laughs> because I missed all the Grealish points pretty much as well. So earlier this season, as someone like Bamford, for example, I haven't owned this season either. So if I brought him in, wouldn't be much good. I don't even have a huge amount of value tied up in Dominic Calvert-Lewin compared to most people. I might have half as much. I might have 0.3, some people 0.5, as you say. So maybe it's easier for me to say that, oh, I'll swap around my, rearrange the deck chairs on this Titanic, because maybe my team was already sinking and maybe rearranging the deck chairs is, the only option that I have to try and get back afloat and to get progressing again up the ranks. And maybe that may mean playing the likes of Brewster to try and get the extra premium in, to chase the bigger points, to have the better captaincy options every single week and to ultimately try and catch up. And I think it has been working quite well for me so far. Perhaps, you know, this, I think Suchek getting benched this week is the ultimate example of where it has probably caught me out. But at the same time, I'm, quite content with how things are going just quietly things are working along working their way nicely and I think as well I'll be in a good position in terms of just selling off one of my premiums to get a few deck chairs when I need them so the likes I got in Chilwell for example but I might want another premium defender soon we haven't really seen them come to the fore too much this season compared to other seasons whereas you know, Robbo I think is going to start to come into the fore, Trent Alexander-Arnold as well, maybe that Liverpool uh, defensive ship is steadying without Virgil van Dijk now, two clean sheets and three Cleveland Kelleher in goal as well which is obviously fantastic and I think just in general these seasons evolve all the time and while we might be feeling this way right now about the deck chairs I don't think it's going to stay that way No, I think you're definitely right I think we've obviously artificially divided the two things here but of course they all link together as Nick was saying as if, and as you said Anthony it, it, it always has a knock-on impact doesn't it but if you do choose to go for the four premiums and you've got to end up in an Anthony situation where you're playing the Brewster or benching your Suchek and getting lucky such unlucky uh, apply it as applicable um, and I, I guess it kind of brings us nicely to the end then so of this section at least uh, should we do nothing more often in FPL um, I think probably about the premiums it's more about targeting um, you know maybe a bit of a long-term target perhaps unless you're kind of looking to do the hokey kogi it hasn't really worked for me to the hokey kogi i'm going to say um but it may be something that may work for nick and 
given how things go in the season, I'm sure it will turn to gold, whereas if I touched it, it would turn to crap. Um, I've made my move this week already, as I've mentioned, to create the DFS, uh, De Bruyne, Fernandes and Salah. And I've sold Vardy, who we didn't mention here as being a, a premium, really. Um, but one thing that did strike me is that it's actually a really odd season, a really odd moment where the top two players, uh, Son, uh, the Son's the first player of the season to get into triple digits, got 100 points now, and Kane are two players who... I was not prioritizing bringing in this week and I don't have a solid plan to bring in for another three or four weeks. Very strange. Very, very strange indeed. Um, I'm just hoping that the players that I've got um, have both the minutes and the fixtures to, to kind of uh, uh, to outscore when alternatives such as you know, the Spurs guys, Mane's, your Sterling's, players that don't own do very well. And they've also got those caps and ab- that caps and ability element to them. So I'm hoping that kind of all kind of fits together. Um, and maybe we do have an odd sort of inversion where you have this year being one which is more of a pick and stick and with the deck chairs rather than messing around with them. And instead, we should be messing around with the premiums. Maybe we should be more comfortable leaving it, though, and just kind of holding faith. FPL is a, is a dynamic game, of course, and it's hard to zombify our teams as we'll always want to make changes, tackle native challenges. But I don't know. Is it always a case of being more like Nick that we think, Anthony? Should we be embracing the importance of being idle? I think it comes down to your management philosophy. I kind of, as I maybe alluded to at the very start of this topic, probably like to get my hands on and try to control things and maybe naively try to control things. And (laughs) sometimes the wind just blows me away rather than me barreling forward as I hope to. Um, But at the same time, I guess, um, as Brian Clough once said, that's just me. And I I think I'm going to kind of continue on that arc and hope that I can make it work out for myself. And I'll, I'll make my moves and I'll chase points as I wish to chase them. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. It has worked really well in previous seasons. Uh, this year, I think, I, I'm thinking to myself anyway, that it's growing in momentum and it can improve. Makes sense. So Brian Clough uh, for Anthony. Uh, Nick Skepta once said, that's not me. I'm guessing that's what you think about what Anthony just said. Perhaps. I mean, yeah, well, this week felt like a good week to not overmanage my team. But, you know, technically I'm going to be making some managerial changes this week so i don't necessarily think <laughs> targeted I, I, over management <laughs> yeah so I, I don't necessarily think i you can be put in in one class or the other i think it's a dynamic game at the end of the day some scenarios don't warrant management you know so yeah sometimes you know trying to to predict pep sorry to kind of bring up that particular example but you know that, that sort of thing or, or try and chase a west brom clean sheets to to get you both you know fabled, fabled clean sheets they, they aren't, do come. aren't necessarily you know the, the best ideas perhaps even in a in a game week where a, a match is cancelled so i think certainly there are cases where you can look and think actually you know, in hindsight, I probably should have just stuck and, and hoped for the best as opposed to taking a hit. Um, and then there's, there's other cases where you think actually a hit is worth it because I can see the potential upside. It's not just about this week. It's about the next five weeks. It's about the fixtures. It's about the player I'm bringing in, whether he can get massive returns if I'm captaining, which I will be with Salah, for instance. You know, that's kind of thing perhaps warrants more of a hit maybe. There you have it, folks. Maybe it's about keeping the big picture in mind when it comes to it. Sometimes it is better to do nothing, but other times it's best to overmanage at will. <sighs> Maybe not, but uh, yeah, interesting section, guys. Thank you. Uh, let's take a break there and move on to correspondence slash Q&A after this. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and it's time to catch up. Firstly, with the Who Got the Assist mini league, um, if you want to join the league, the code is CPSULF. Um, so I'll do a quick 
rundown of the top 10 seeing as we're recording on a tuesday and it's actually updated for a change so we've got shakar omer um a team has no name in 10th got 89 points that's, that's a very decent score um friend of the pod alan cooper gave us a shout out on twitter um it's dropped a couple of places this week um down to nine 69 points we got uh jan neemanen um with 86 points in eighth going up uh one of the zaki teams uh, zaki team two in seventh with 61 points and, and zaki team one Zaki Shane, um, 68 points in sixth. Um, so moving on to the top five, we've got Wallace Clark with the ace team, um, 82 points, very decent score there. We've got Tony Donahue, another riser in the uh, who got assist mini league, another new name. He uh, 77 points. Um, dropping down to third though, David Izzett um, with Hest Wham, untied, 66 points. And then we've got two guys. Brilliant scores here. We've got Graham Sessoms, um, 94 points. And, uh, but Borisov Joksimovic, he's still number one with a 95-pointer. This, this guy is just having an epic season. He's um, overranked 73rd now um, with the likes of Kane. and um, With the likes of Son and Zaha, 18 points there. Uh, De Bruyne captain, Calvert-Lewin, got Robertson and Fernandez, Bamford, Werner, you know, the main men there. Uh, so doing well. So uh, very well done there, Borisov. Yep, very well done indeed. Right, let's move on to everybody's favourite part of the podcast. It's the correspondence section. And this week, it's a, it's a bit of an intellectually challenging one, isn't it, Anthony? Yeah, it certainly is. So the, the correspondence section is, of course, your chance to have your opinions aired, to give an addendum, on, uh, to add an addendum to a previous pod, or just to give your thoughts on absolutely anything, send in your poetry. Or, as Martin H has done, who you'll find on Twitter, at FPL Antiques. That's all one word, and that's antiques, plural. Uh, and Martin has posed, or has sent us in a spreadsheet and explained his workings rather than posing any question to us. So what this spreadsheet does is, it, uh, which he's updating all the time, it looks at non-pen XG and non-pen XGC data and uses previous XG averages uh, against other teams and how that compares with their XGC to basically to use expected data to measure performance relative to the opponents that a side has actually faced. So with this, and just kind of, there's so much data there that it's very hard to kind of break it down for an audio format. But I think the most interesting thing for discussion purposes are who are the good teams in the attacking sense and who are the good and bad teams in a defensive sense. So who do you think, guys, is the best team in an attacking sense, according to this uh, XG over under data that Martin has provided. Uh, Liverpool? Correct, Tom. Yes, indeed. And second, this is probably the more challenging one. So, yeah, I was going to say it's not City because we know how well, um, how poorly rather they've been doing this season. We know it's not Spurs because they've been underperforming. It's probably someone like Leeds, isn't it? Nick is very good at this. Yeah, Leeds are actually second. Spurs, you're correct, Nick, as well. Are, they're fifth. So you've got Liverpool, Leeds, Villa, Everton, West Ham, Spurs in that order, giving you the top six in terms of an attacking sense. And then who do you think in terms of this XG over under framework that Martin has is the best defence? So what this is basically saying is which team's XGC was relatively good in when you consider the teams that they faced and the XG they usually tend to get. So I know that Brighton have been overperforming on their XGC, but um, they've got a crappy goalkeeper, so they keep conceding, even though that they've um, yeah, the got a very problems. low one. Um, yeah, so I know Brighton are up there at least. Number one, it could even be 
Southampton. I was going to say this could be Villa, maybe, or someone like that. Or Southampton. Nick's very good at this. It's actually Brighton. Yeah, 0.58 on this. They have the uh, they come out on top, which just shows that their defence are, as Tom constantly says on Twitter, all fart, no poo. So, yeah, Brighton assets performing pretty well. Other good teams defensively, there's no real surprises here. You've got Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea and Spurs. Now, who are the teams that this framework suggests we should be targeting? And I think this is probably the most interesting thing for your captaincies. Fulham, uh, West Brom, like the usual suspects. Which, which one is number one and which one's number two, though? Uh, Fulham. Are the, number, are the worst? Uh, number one, yeah, and then West Brom number two. No, actually West Brom are the worst. And I mean uh, by a country mile, they, oh, really? they're really, you know, it's almost like those top right messy graphs where they're so out in front in terms of how bad they are um, on this framework. West Brom 1.65 and then you've got Fulham 1.29, followed by Sheffield United. They're your three teams to target according to Martin's framework. So this was, a, this was an interesting use of the correspondence section, I think, to kind of give us you know, an insight into what pe- some pe- managers are doing to analyze the data that is freely accessible online or that you can pay to access to help their, man- their, help their transfer decisions and indeed their captaincy decisions. So I think it's, it's quite interesting, guys. And like as an overall framework, I think it is quite interesting. Like you could say that uh, it's something that just suggests that Liverpool are a good attack or it doesn't matter. No, 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 no. Because I think what it does is it it tells us that how Leeds, for example, have over the course of multiple game weeks continued to perform well relative to how you would expect a team to perform against good defences. And I think that's, that's really interesting data to have. And it's the sort of reason why you would want to have Patrick Bamford in your team. Equally, Villa were up there. It's the reason why you would like to have, a, especially their talismanic figure, Jack Grealish, in your side. So thanks very much to Martin for sending that in. It's really interesting. He's FPL Antiques. That's plural antiques. And it's all one word. Um, and you'll find him on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, please, anyway, get your correspondence in for any future pods. Who got the assist at gmail.com? We'd love to hear from you with literally anything. I think this shows you again the versatility of this segment. It can be spreadsheets. Uh, we still haven't got any audio, lads. I'm, I'm waiting for someone to make, make a mixtape or something and send it in. That would be particularly interesting. Uh, but yeah, whatever you have, guys, we're really interested to hear from you. Yeah, especially if you're one of the people who complains about the uh, the theme, uh, the theme shot song. Just if you do complain, you can do something better. Make it. Send that. If we like it, we might use it. Who knows? Maybe keep Nicola's voice in, though. She might get a bit offended. All right, uh, let's move on to the Q&A then. And we'll start off with revisiting last week's pod to some extent. I mean, we could have done that a little bit this week. We could have kind of done the premiums all over again. Uh, as it is, I think that we gave kind of a little bit of an insight into our views on premiums. But you no, know, we had done it last week. And we thought, well, there's, there's no point in rehashing it, except to say probably about the same, except with a few little adjustments based on what's happened uh, in terms of the last game, which is gone. Instead, uh, Johnny Forward tweets in uh, for this and he asks, you know, assuming you can have three of Son, Bruno, KDB and Salah, so DFSS, uh, which one gives you the least FOMO at the moment? Uh, so this is uh, probably one we know my answer. I'll wait, wait it out a little bit. Uh, Nick, what do you reckon about this? Um, of those guys, what are you doing? Because you're selling Bruno. It sounds like it's Bruno who you care least about. It's always nice to hear from a, a kegs boy there. Uh, so yeah, it, they all give me FOMO. Ultimately, that's that's the thing, you know. So like, you know, there's risk with every single one of those players. Um, 
both De Bruyne and Bruno, we know that they pull the strings from their respective clubs. Salah, obviously, I'm scared to death about not owning him for Fulham, so he's certainly coming in. So it's not Son, and it's not Salah. I think Son, his ownership is huge, and it's very damaging every time he returns. But he um, is vastly outperforming his XG, um, which obviously shows that ultimately he's an excellent class finisher and can score some absolute world-class goals like he did against Arsenal. So I, I don't really have fear of missing out on Son because I've got Kane. So that kind of nullifies that threat to me. I am planning on selling Bruno, as you said. So I guess that kind of makes him the answer. But you know, we've now had 25 game weeks of this guy in the Premier League since he joined in January last year. And he has had 197 points in that period. So that's just under eight points per game. So, you know, there's a massive risk of missing out on any returns from not owning Bruno. So that is very, very scary for me to, to sell this guy. However, you know, I'm going to try and I'll say Bruno for this game week alone. But then next game week, it's going to be someone different. So um, that's why I'm trying to play them all as much as I can. Yeah, I, I think you've captured the the real underlying point to this, which is that it probably depends on fixtures and who happens to be on form. And I guess looking forward at who I have FOMO about, considering actually that I've managed to so far go this far into the season without owning Son or Bruno, which, you know, draw your own conclusions based on that. But uh, like Liverpool's fixtures over the next five, for example, are, are so good that I would have serious FOMO if I didn't have Salah, but he's, he's staying in my side. Um, City's fixtures are also quite good, and that's the reason why I brought De Bruyne into my side quite early. Spurs is on the other side, um, are taking a bit of a downward turn. And so, you know, not go, going without Son, as I have done so far this season, I think is something that's going to continue. Uh, Bruno, I think, is someone I need to bring in. And I think it's, as you kind of got out there, Nick, is just, he is so, so fixture-proof. So with that in mind, I think I'm going to get him into my side as soon as possible, as I, I mooted it earlier, that I'm, I have a transfer strategy in place that will basically get him into my side when United's fixtures are just that little bit better, i.e. after the Manchester Derby and in game week 13. That sounds good. Um, well, now you've gone out of... Uh... Champions League um, I guess Bruno is going to play in the Premier League as you said and hope to push United up to at least fifth place so you're in the Europa League again next year so that's what you're good for um, but yeah no, I, I completely agree um, I think probably Bruno KDB and Salah are the ones I'm looking for because I don't need to hype Hunter for them um, but I am a bit worried about not owning Son every week as I saw this week you know I was doing okay flying high on Saturday um, shot down on Sunday and I don't even need the guff but his XG either I mean to the eyes one best finished in the league well, I think it's got seven XG for open play, seven goals from open play sorry and 6.28 XG from uh, goals and shots on target according to fancy football scouts so it's not actually that bad it's not like a massive performance um, but yeah as I said earlier it's just a bit odd with Son I'm not considering the high scorer however I'm looking to captain the DFS over the next three and someone like Benjamin for long. So, meh. The beauty of him being a small price, I mentioned earlier on as well, is that he's very easy to get to. Um, so, in contrast to a player like KDB or Salah, who I've been needing to tear up my team to get to, Son is just about doable. So, I've looked at it. I can remove, you know, one of the mid defenders. I can remove DTL and upgrade by kind of fifth uh, midfielder to Son. If I did have my wild card again, I'd probably go 3 5 2 and have Bruno, KDB, Salah, Son, and Grudish as being a midfield five because that just looks ridiculously good. And maybe that'd be something I'll be looking at in the future. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of not as good as it could be at the moment with the premium picks because you're always going to miss out somebody, as we said a few times. Um, uh, but I mean, it really is the case of just. <laughs> 
deciding what your strategy is with them, as we've said earlier on. Yeah, obviously there's another um, player as well that we haven't really talked about at all on the pod, is there? And that's, that's, that's Raheem Sterling. He's been a little bit in and out of the Manchester City side, um, so hasn't really kind of entered the narrative too much. But um, 13 points this game week uh, with a goal and assist against Fulham. And obviously with some of the Manchester City fixtures that are coming up, I think he, he's certainly one to keep an eye on, one we didn't uh, mention earlier, but 11.4 million, I guess the rotation risk, the fact he's only owned by 4%, I'm not really getting that FOMO from him right now. So no no concerns really about him and, and what, what he can do. And I'm, I'm certainly happy with uh, De Bruyne in terms of my City coverage right now. Yeah, so I think that brings us on really to the next question. That is the case for defence. So we've got a few questions in on this. Uh, one FPL Elf says that he's feeling a bit lost with defence, that Chelsea are still the team to go for, perhaps, or Villa, suddenly not the force that they were earlier in the season. And Lamptey, of course, easy on the eye, but not actually returning in FPL terms. Uh, in addition, uh, Colin Mokongla is asking if Liverpool are still a no-go or if it's better to invest in them, uh, invest in them now than gutting your defence over the Christmas period. Yeah, so essentially, where's the value at? Um, certainly not been a good time for defence, has it, in terms of um, you know, picking and sticking. And some people like our friend, the FPL Flatjack from surgery, triples trust defence every week. Is he ahead of the curve? Well, yeah, he's been doing okay with that. In, in another world this week, you know, I went with the City because I felt that they had a decent, uh, a decently low SGC. In another world this week, I'd have had a double City clean sheet. Looking at the data as well, uh, City and Chelsea have got the lowest XGC over the last four, which is a shock. Um, one good note on Chelsea, actually, from looking at the data, the last time they headed, they conceded a headed chance was game week six, which is absolutely crazy. It just shows the Zuma Tilver aerial dominance. Yeah, the last time they conceded a headed chance. Was and game that's week. that's a team that were weak at set pieces last yeah. year and were amazing. targeted on. That's an amazing turnaround. It is. It really is. And uh, I think Villa Baylor's as well um, should take heart. Um, because um, they've got the third lowest SGC. Um, so they're just below Manchester and Chelsea. They've just conceded a few high-quality chances. There's a bit of nonsense, in fact. So over the last four, they've conceded seven shots on target, which is the lowest in the league. But six of them have been big chances. So I'm hoping that's an unsustainable rate because that's a ridiculous percentage of the chances on, of the shots on target being big chances. Um, I think, really, with this, I'm reminded of the old adage to treat your defence as a unit and use transfers there sparingly like I tried to do that for a while until my kind of I judged at least my current team came to its kind of natural the end of its natural cycle um, I probably would still be saying that I mean I did make a pretty bad looking move in hindsight but could have gone another way uh, move uh, last week with changing Cancelo for Walker but and overall I do kind of like to see my defense has been set and forget and I do often not particularly like making moves there. Um, I would say in answer to Colm's question is that I think Robertson is a, is a, actually just one of those players who does have that sort of stickability about him. It's just whether you want you may want to move that one million or not. I, I don't know. I, I think that he, over, over the course of Christmas, will prove great value for money for the extra cash that you're investing. Uh, so I can make, uh, make sense to do so. It's just where you're going to be making the sacrifices to make that work, I suppose. Uh, Nick, what do you reckon here? Uh, yeah, I completely agree with you, actually, there, in regards to, to Robertson. I mean, I've actually held him all through this 
period in time, I never disinvested in the Liverpool defence, ultimately. Um, somehow he, he stuck in my team. But it's kind of worked out all right, actually. As soon as everyone sold, he got that 12-pointer and he picked up an, a nice clean sheet against Wolves. And, and now they've got some great fixtures. So certainly, you know, he looks like a great asset. But, you know, there's so there's so much other places, so many other places to, to spend your money right now. Do you, do you really want to try and fork out for 7.1 on Robbo? This doesn't really seem you know, the best way of spending your money, perhaps, when you're, you're kind of looking to bring in all those premiums that we've already discussed. So, um, well, he's 7.2, actually, isn't he? 7.1 on my screen because of um, when I bought him at seven. But, um, yeah, so I, I think for that, he stays in my team. Certainly, he's a hold with those fixtures that are coming up now. But the sort of the defenders this season, it's, it's all been about those Chelsea guys that you mentioned, the top-scoring defenders right now are Zuma, James and Chilwell, and they all look like great options. So it's worth keeping one of those, even sort of, with Chelsea's fixtures, which are okay-ish. Um, in terms of my own defence, I think Lamptey's probably going to go for me um, to get in the Jamal Lewis, just because of the budget. And that was me, enables me to get in Salah. Um, and, you know, the Newcastle game looks like it's probably going to go ahead against West Brom. But, you know, I actually would prefer it to be cancelled for uh, Lewis because I've got um, Dallas and, and Walker-Peters and... Um, also, I've got uh, Lam- no, sorry, I've got Dallas and Walker Peters and Zuma and Robbo, so I can rotate all of those guys very, very nicely. And I think, in terms of the defenders this year, the cheaper assets, the Southampton, Villa, Leeds, all can be rotated very, very nicely. I think, and you know, they're kind of like these guys all came in on my wild card and haven't really had to shake it up at all. I've kept all of them since game week five, so you know, keeping those guys um, rotating them week in, week out, even though I've missed out on a few Dallas clean sheets, has, has um, proved quite an effective strategy. So that's probably where I'd go for now. I'd probably say as well, just keep an eye on Spurs um, as they've had some clean sheets of some really tough fixtures. So once the, the fixtures start to improve, the likes of uh, Dyer perhaps might even enter the uh, the narrative a little bit. Yeah, I mean, Mourinho's going to surely fancy uh, getting clean sheet anywhere, isn't he? To be honest, is, is that sort of coach? Yeah, so like, I think I, basically what I would just say is that I think most teams should have most of their defence right because... I, I think Nick kind of captured this talking about that he hasn't had to change too much since his wildcard team. The good defences have usually stayed good so far this season. Maybe the the one thing you could have done was sold your Liverpool defenders. And I definitely see the case for getting one of those back in, in the, you know, short to medium to, or in the, yeah, in the short to medium turn, just because the fixtures are turning. Their form is clearly turning as well. They seem to have kind of got a grip of things uh, without Virgil van Dijk and I'd be optimistic for them going forward but yeah the Chelsea defence has been the best as well and I think I've, I've kept Chilwell pretty much since my wildcard I got him in as a matter of urgency at the time and I would hold at least a Chelsea defender and I wouldn't sacrifice one of them to fund that Liverpool move so I think that brings us on Reid to our next question uh, about sifting sands by Wright McShawn and he's asking if there's any teams that we're targeting the fixtures of in the medium term um, yeah, so as, as I alluded to earlier, I think Liverpool look like one of the prime teams to target right now. They've just demolished Wolves 4-0 and they've got Fulham, Spurs, Palace, West Brom, Newcastle up next. And, you know, I'm going to be tripled up with them again. You know, last season, we just saw them dominating every single team week in, week out. And I think I'm quite happy with the idea of now being tripled up. And I think they've been playing, especially this weekend, they seem to play with a lot of confidence against Wolves. Absolutely annihilated them. Sort of got over that little shock of the Aston Villa game at the start of the season, which, you know, was obviously a, a massive um, shock for everyone that watched as well. Um, the, you know, Liverpool, in terms of their underlying stats, they're leading on all the metrics, shots, shots inside the box, big chances taken, goals and minutes per chance. So, yeah, definitely target Liverpool is what I'd say. Otherwise... 
Um, looking at the fixtures, I think Leeds um, have some great fixtures coming up as well. So I'm certainly jealous of those guys that are going to be owning Bamford. He's going to be one of those players that I wish I had, but I don't have. They've got West Ham, Newcastle, United, Burnley, West Brom. So four out of five um, really, really nice plum fixtures there. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to have Dallas for that period, but no live, um, no leads to tackle. See, Bamford's the one to target there. Um, otherwise, I think Newcastle maybe one to keep an eye on. Um, they've got a fixture to rearrange. The next three look pretty nice, but then they've got tough games against City Liverpool. Um, and Aston Villa as well. Um, some great fixtures for them with Wolves, Burnley. There's Brom Crystal Palace plus two fixtures that are going to be rearranged at some point. So um, a lot of us doubled up, but I think certainly later on in the season, the triple up might be something to look at again. Perhaps, you know, like some Watkins as well can come into your attack or another Villa defence maybe. Yeah, they're nicely priced, aren't they? So you can make those substitutions as needed. Um, two I'd add here. I mean, you mentioned Liverpool, um, obviously City as well. Uh, but the two I would add uh, are one United, so up to City, up to a game of KT, and actually have a nice little run there. Uh, Sheffield United away, Leeds at home, Leicester away, Wolves and Aston Villa at home, and then Fulham away. And that's a nice little run for them, especially because they'll be, hopefully, wanting to respond, or I don't know, they could perform to Malays now and hope to get rid of Solskjaer. Um, the other one is Burnley. Um, I just think that up until game week 18, so through the Christmas period, they're going to be looking at these games and thinking, this is Burnley O'Clock. You know, games are slowing, players are getting tired. Four banks, of, <laughs> two banks of four. Uh, let's just choke these games, get our clean sheets, get our kind of lucky points through Chris Wood or you know, Ashley Barnes housing, something like that. Um, okay, the games aren't fantastic. They are Arsenal, Aston Villa, Wolves, Leeds, Sheffield, Nice, and Fulham. Um, but I'd imagine that if you were to you know, look for a 4.4 uh, defender like you know, Charlie Taylor or something like that, um, they could be fixtures that you'd be looking to buy into. I think Nick Pope's probably a bit too expensive, but I mean, they're obviously kind of a team to bear in mind here as well. Uh, Anthony, any more for you? No, I, I think you guys have captured the, maybe from a from positive sense, which teams you'd be targeting well. And I think then it's, it's really just to kind of supplement that in terms of the captaincy with targeting the, the likes of West Brom, Fulham, and maybe to a lesser extent, Sheffield United is kind of, an alternative thing. I, I definitely echo what you said as well about, I suspect Burnley will take an upward trajectory and the Liverpool triple up is something which we haven't talked about a huge amount so far this season, or at least the triple up we used to talk about was Salah, Mane, plus a defender. It's a much more affordable proposition when it's Salah, Jota, plus a defender. And I think that's very, very helpful um, going forward. Yeah, we've we've also heard as well about a, a double game week that's going to be coming up for both West Ham and West Brom, um, which uh, Ben Krellin helpfully tweeted about earlier on this evening. So it will be it will mean a blank in, in game week eighteen, but that. Uh, game week 19 fixture for West Ham looks um, particularly appetising where they're going to be playing Burnley and West Brom so I think um, you know if you're looking that far ahead and sometimes you are perhaps when you're targeting things like defenders or goalkeepers things like that and um, likes of Soufal maybe would be one to look at um, 4.6 or, or Masuaku who's been playing pretty well um, Antonio still working himself back to fitness but he might be one to look at in terms of the third striker or even um, Fabianski who's top scoring uh, goalkeeper right now be fantastic for that double game week perhaps yeah no i agree i agree 
poor old West Brom though. Maybe they're being overlooked a little bit. Um, but who knows? I'm sure that some people, some mad people, eh, Anthony, will have likes of Sam Johnson there. Well, we've got Captain material, Tom. Captain material. Oh, if only I could hold you to that, which I would never do because I'm an idiot. Right, let's move on. And we've got a couple of kind of esoteric questions to end the, end the pod with this week. A few more of the kind of the, the, the kind of the high level uh, overview sort of questions that you can get. Uh, the first one is live rank ruination. It's Vipo Meta. And he asks us to go over the merits slash demerits of live rank. He says he doesn't feel like there's any merits at all as far he's concerned so over this weekend he gave a, a similar sort of example to me in terms of the roller coaster uh, saying he was convinced he was going to be less than 100k at one point during the week but now he's beyond 100k um, after everything that kind of happened so Saturday was looking it was looking amazing for him and now he's got all the way down to uh, beyond 500k I feel terrible for you Vipor because I'm 1.7 million um, but you know I mean live rank is definitely one of those things which is um, a bit of a bad habit I find I feel compelled to check it um, after every game, just see what's happened, how things have gone. Uh, but I also feel terrible after checking it the vast majority of the time uh, because uh, I guess I remember the times when things are going well, but I more remember the times when players who I didn't want to score have done very, very well and my rank has absolutely tanked. And it, it does have an impact on you, even though like you know, I'm quite, as I mentioned, the next question that was dissociated from it just in general nowadays. Um, but it does have a kind of a tangible impact on your mood where you're like, oh, you know, I'm now down to X million or whatever in my case or oh I've just dropped 200k places in next case actually no, in next case is right. I've just dropped five places oh no um, but I, I think I'm in future going to try to make a conscious decision not to check it because over this sort of you know, drip feed of games throughout the weekend it's actually really tough to kind of think one thing about how your week's going and then come the end of the week have a different reflection altogether about how your week's gone it kind of it's just not natural compared to how it would have been normally when you'd have all of your Saturday games, a few games on Sunday, and that's it. The week's gone. Whereas now it's kind of like one game, one game, one game, one game. It's it's actually phenomenally difficult if you are an engaged manager, especially added to what we said earlier on about the fact that once the, the deadline's gone, that's it. You've got no control. All you've got is a very, very slow drip feed of Japanese water torture, essentially, um, if things aren't going very well for you. Um, so, yeah, maybe I won't be looking at uh, live rank unless I'm doing well. Uh, Nick, you are doing well. Do you enjoy looking at live rank? I'm guessing the question is yes. Personally, I think I still think it's a useful tool. I wouldn't say it's got no merits. Um, it's, I find it quite interesting just um, studying and observing the ownership stats and things like that that it pulls out for you. It's really interesting to, like, to learn, for instance, that the likes of James Justin this week would have actually been more detrimental to my rank had he hauled compared to Jamie Vardy just because of the ownership of, of James Justin in particular and just um and it helps me as well when I when I talk about like stuff like mitigating my risk like looking at you know someone who would cause me damage like Ben Chilwell um I've got Kurt Zuma so you know most of the damage that Ben Chilwell can do is, is covered so it's not most but some of the damage that Ben Chilwell can do is covered to a certain extent so I, I, I find that really helpful when I'm doing my transfer planning and stuff of course you know it was a particularly weird weekend this weekend wasn't it one of those where everyone felt very positive with their returns on the Saturday and then you saw Kane return Son return Salah return and many many managers didn't have these guys anymore and just you know all those returns completely diminished so I, I wouldn't um, take too much stock in your rank midweek unless unless of course you want to brag about it on social media which is perfectly fine and for anyone who says otherwise <laughs> you're so offensive Nick you're an offensive guy moving on from that Anthony what do you reckon 
I think for me, I, I enjoy having live FPL and I think it's, it's like Nick that I just enjoy nerding out in the statistical side of it and kind of watching how ownership kind of affects me as the weekend goes on. And I think inevitably uh, not owning Son and not owning Fernandez means that effectively I watch them destroy my rank every single week, whether that's from a positive position or just digging the hole that I've gone into even deeper. Um, I, if you find live FPL is you know, hampering your enjoyment of FPL in general. Um, I just wouldn't get too into it and I just avoid it. But you maybe should wonder whether you enjoy going on to the FPL site itself after the game weekends and seeing the, the rank <laughs> results, if that's also bothering you. So there's maybe there's, there's greater questions to be asked if it, if it really gets to you. But I do understand kind of the, the emotional roller coaster that FPL can pull you on. And that's, that's extremely hard to explain to somebody who doesn't enjoy oh, FPL or get into impossible. it as much as us. But, but, but I understand you, folks. I understand. <laughs> oh, so that explains my girlfriend. I've got one. I've got one, I promise. She's not, she's not fake. She's real. Um, but I was trying to explain to my girlfriend exactly why I'm a little bit annoyed uh, that Shay Adams, a random Southampton player she's never heard of, uh, blanked on Monday night. <laughs> it's just... Uh, Ah, it's, it's impossible. It's very hard to explain why that is slightly irritating. Uh, and so slightly linked in with this, the final question this week is from Sean. You can find him at FPL Unhinged, uh, where he publishes his own FPL blog via Medium. And he emailed in actually to ask, what's your tip with dealing with misery slash pent-up anger uh, following a series of unfortunate events in FPL uh, besides making rage transfers, which I don't think any of us here actually do um, anymore at least. But this, he emailed us last week um, where he had Hamas Rodriguez and Ollie Watkins um, and neither of them did anything, uh, despite the fact they probably could have gotten four returns, if not more, uh, due to offsides, you know, various sort of bits and pieces going on. Uh, so how do we deal with bad luck in FPL, guys? How do we stomach it? Nick, you don't have any bad luck. So do you even have a strategy? I don't know. What do you do? I mean, we, we've talked about this a few times on other pods, haven't we? This yeah, it was like two weeks ago, wasn't and, it? <laughs> and it's like, it, it comes up every so often. I think I, I always try and encourage people to say that when things go bad in FPL, just try and not take it too seriously. I know it's easier said than done. It's a game, after all, um, and we say as well to just focus on other things going well in life. Uh, and often I also find with FPL, bad week can be quickly forgotten, especially around this time of year when it's just so much fixture congestion like the next week's gonna be around the corner and within a couple of days ultimately so best not to dwell on the past and instead focus on the future and what you can do to improve your team for the next game that's coming up yeah what i recommend doing is uh sitting down on a monday night and cathartically going through the misery as part of an fpl podcast and then it all flushes out of your system and then you're <laughs> feeling positive by the coming weekend about whatever transfers or over management that you engage in uh, like me bringing in Mara's last weekend which of course ended in um, disappointment misery pent-up anger whatever someone wants to call it but overall you know it's, it's a process and it, it's fine and we'll <laughs> move on to the next uh, disappointment with uh, Diogo Jota this weekend the five stages of an FPL bad game week. Yeah, you know, I don't know what you mean. Yeah, I've so many... is, the, is the fourth stage getting on the podcast? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but in general, I've had so many poor outcomes over the last year, few years. I'm long detached from being too upset about bad luck. Ultimately, as I said, as I've said many times, the question is: I ask myself, am I happy with the decision I've made? If I'm happy with the decision I've made, then. Yeah, whatever. I'll chalk it up as bad luck. If there's a problem in the decision process, so I wasn't too sure about what I was doing, or if there was something patently wrong about what I did, which isn't something that I can attribute to, you know, 
Pep or attributes to my player hit the post when through on goal rather than scoring, then maybe I'll look at it, think about it. But often you probably put the players in the right positions. You made the right judgments. It's just not worked out for you. And as per the lot chat last week, and as I just mentioned, the feeling of being unlucky gets magnified by FPL Twitter, socials, as those scoring points will shout loudest and those who don't simply won't. Right, okay, let's move on to the end of the pod. Transfers and captains for this week. What are we doing, guys? Uh, Nick, two free transfers. It is uh, exciting times in the Harris household. What's going to happen for you? So Salah's going to come in probably at the expense of Bruno Fernandes. Uh, a bit shocking that. Um, but I'm going to have to find 0.3 million somewhere to fund it as well. So it's probably going to be Lamptey being the make weight um, for someone like Lewis to fund it. Um, I'd actually prefer that game to be cancelled and then I can play Dallas and then potential double game weeks down the line for Lewis. After you talked about um, Charlie Taylor, I've got all a little bit excited about him actually. I think maybe I should do him instead if I can bench <laughs> Taylor and um, play him for the weeks that he has the better fixture. So I might have to, to get the spreadsheet out and look at the next five to six game weeks and which three, three or four defenders I want to play because I've got a bit of defensive rotation going on. Very, very exciting. That. So yeah, that's my decision. And, um, and Salah's going to get the armband as well. Yeah, I had a multi-week process going on where I, I'm going to sell Mares to get Jota and then sell Jota to get Bruno Fernandes. So the, the plan is, barring some kind of injury or odd news coming out, to continue with that plan and also to captain Mo Salah this coming weekend. Cool, and I've done the uh, very popular looking uh, Vardy and Ziyech out uh, for Bamford and Salah in, and Salah is going to be my captain, of course. So we are going to have a blank from Mo Salah, probably penalty miss, uh, something like that. Perfect. So we were who got the assist. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. Yeah, thanks very much for listening, guys. We'll be back recording on Sunday night with a quick Q&A pod, given that we've such a truncated set of fixtures over the next three game weeks. Correspondence is going to take a break during that time. I know, guys, please do stick with us. I know it's, it's going to be hard without correspondence, <laughs> but we've just got so much great correspondence coming into who got the assist at gmail.com. And your emails could even join those pent-up correspondences if you actually email. So bring those in, guys. We look forward to getting them. Cool. Uh, we hope we assist you think about the importance of being idle in FPL. Speak to you uh, next Sunday or next Monday, I suppose, in your time. Goodbye. Slam. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.